Welcome to Second in Command, brought to you by COO Alliance, where top-level COOs share the insights, tactics, and strategies that made them the chief behind the chief. And now, here's your host, Cameron Harold. Angela Keeley is co-founder and COO of Keon, a dietary supplement and functional food company where he oversees all business activities. Angelo has a truly diverse and unique background. He also put himself through college as a professional musician, beatboxing and rapping and drumming. I've actually heard him beatbox and he blows me away. He uh, led and developed youth service programs for immigrants and orphans in the U.S., Central America and India, and graduated as valedictorian with a major in religious studies. He then moved to France to learn French, and he knows multiple languages, by the way. He also quickly got a job to develop corporate training programs at a new French satellite campus for an American university in a rare education business partnered with Apple. After a few years in France, Angela moved to India to become a lead mentor and trainer for Apple um, with creative softwares and then ultimately led the international development department at a top Indian business school. Following India, Angela moved to Boulder, Colorado to raise his family and then successfully founded the U.S. branch of an international software development company, developed a creative business training program for artists, and operated a behavioral health care company focused on helping troubled young adults. In late 2016, Angela was introduced to a fitness influencer and podcast star, Ben Greenfield, to help Ben launch a new dietary supplement company. They quickly bonded and co-founded Keon three months later. Angelo has since led the long-term strategic initiatives and daily operations as COO. And I'm also really happy to say that Angelo was one of the founding members of the National COO Alliance program. So Angelo, welcome to the Second in Command podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Cameron. It's an honor. Yeah, and I'm looking forward to this. And it's funny, after even after all the time that we've spent together, I didn't realize that you had spent so much time over in India. And I'm kind of fascinated with that. I've been to India four times. So i um, Love to learn a little bit about that as we get going too. So why don't you kind of start us off by giving us a little bit of your background. Tell us, you know, where you believe you got some of the core skills to be the COO of Keon. That's an interesting question. You know, like the core skills in a way I feel like, um, or maybe like the way I see life is there's a way in which we kind of have these inherent talents that we discover over time and things that we're called to. And I think over time, what I've realized is, I am really excited and passionate about helping facilitate other people's visions take form. And mm-hmm. that being via, you know, working on developing education programs and working for a lot of different visionary leaders in education, in software and business, you know, I just, I've really been attracted to when someone has a lot of ideas and passion and they want to make something happen, but they kind of fumbles or it needs form and it needs direction and it needs organization. And I think, yeah, I've just had an, I've had an innate passion for that. And then over time, I've just developed the skill sets that enable me to support uh, that process for others. And I think that that's kind of like exactly what Ben needed in founding Keon. And it's been really the, the role that I've played. So what do you think some of those skill sets are then? And and, um, and walk us through also how you and Ben stay on the same page with the vision that he had uh, initially for Keon. So I think the core skill sets are, I'm kind of just like a more like core system level are really around, am I able to, and one in this role, able to be really comfortable with a big exploration of ideas and brainstorming type activities where you're not going to shut that down. You're really going to support 
creatives in, in that process. And then from that process, actually taking those ideas, picking out the best ones, picking the ones that really make sense um, in alignment with a bigger vision and, and speaking to the vivid vision process that you have influenced in us to really take those ideas, form a concise vision of what's really most important, and then drill down from that vision into smaller, more clear and strategic tactical steps to manifest that vision. And it's kind of rather broad, but it's everything from, um, I'd say it has to do with, you know, breaking things down into subsets of goals, into timelines. That's a core aspect of this whole process. And I think another really big helpful skill set that I developed, and I I didn't really realize until I finished it, but I, I ran this healthcare company for about three years. And in it, I worked with a lot of therapists and I learned a lot about group dynamics and being able to keep the group functioning as a whole and to keep the, particularly in my role, in my relationship with Ben, like to keep the visionary really connected and excited and to help that person, uh, you know, ensure that their vision is is coming to fruition while also they tend to be kind of uh, wild (laughs) people. Like Ben is super wild. If If you don't know, I mean, just go to Ben Greenfield fitness and, and check out some of the stuff he does and he's up to, but like keeping that person excited while also keeping this whole team balanced and moving forward and executing. Um, so those two, I think those two skill sets are probably the most important ones that I've found, but there's all kinds of other, you know, business and finance and marketing and, you know, all the core business skills sure. that are obviously very yeah, all the core basic stuff. We'll we'll put a link in the show notes to uh, Ben Link, uh, Greenfield Fitness as well. Tell me, um, did did you guys roll out your vivid vision to all of your employees, and have you rolled it out publicly? We rolled it out to all of the employees, and we rolled it out publicly. But uh, we we actually have more work to do to continue to formalize it. You know, one thing that we did we did it kind of in a marketing format is we worked on the vision and. Then we actually did it as like a nurture sequence that we rolled out to the Ben Greenfield fitness community as we were launching Keon. So basically, you know, we had this initial audience that was based around Ben. Um, and then now we're, we've launched this much larger product company. And um, we did it as part of that process, which I think was really helpful and really got the audience to, to buy into what we were up to and why we were doing this. Yeah, it's cool. I love the way that you actually launched it out as, as part of a sequence. So give us some of the key aspects then that um, I guess when you guys created the Vivid Vision that, that helped align you and the employees, what was it that became part of that process or part of that document internally? Just to clarify, you're saying like the actual, what part of the process of doing it was valuable or like, are there like highlights from or core pieces of the document that are especially helpful? Yeah, the highlights are core pieces. Were there any big aha moments where you're like, oh, interesting, didn't, didn't know you were thinking of that or didn't know we were thinking that direction or that you and Ben maybe got in alignment on that then kind of rallied everyone else? You know, kind of surprisingly, in really great detail describing what the office was going to look like, what the culture was going to feel like, what employees were going to say about their job those were much more potent and powerful than I think we imagined. Lots of times it's like, oh, this product that we're going to develop and how we're going to like change the, you know, the world um, or change this aspect of consumers' lives. We got a lot of feedback from both employees and, cons- and like our, our audience and consumers about those, in fact. 
Yeah, it's funny. I actually see that a fair bit with the number. And I codified the idea of the vivid vision concept in in my first book, Double Double, and then also in my third book, Vivid Vision. But I also covered it a little bit in The Miracle Morning for Entrepreneurs. And the idea around really describing all of the relationships with people, whether it's your recruiting process, your interviewing process, your onboarding, your training, what employees, how they work together, um, and maybe even some of those group dynamics. So Tell us a little bit about the group dynamics. First, I've actually heard one of the COOs mentioning that on our podcast. So walk us through um, maybe some of the insights of, of what you see and how you're managing the group dynamics. I think first off with your employees and, and leadership team, but then secondly, even with, do you do anything with regards to suppliers? Because I know you guys have a fair amount of suppliers that you work with too. Yeah, so the I guess the way that I think about group dynamics is... First of all, there's just individuals. Uh, well, sorry, big picture. I mean, we're running a business and we're running a team, but ultimately it is just a bunch of human beings in a group together doing these activities. So I try to hold that kind of fundamental picture. And then, you know, we've created as a leadership team, this vision of what we want this, this group of people to be working on and doing. And okay, that's great. And then you actually have to take it to these individuals and find ways for them to be connected to it. And similarly to find suppliers to be connected to it and to, to want to be part of it. And I think the first step is just observing that each different person has a different set of core needs and desires and thus motivators, mm-hmm. things that they are looking for in their life. Some are more passionate about growth and excitement. Some are really into a service and feeling like they're helping the team. Others just want to like achieve and, and prove that they can do things. Some are, you know, OCD about making things perfect and working just well. Others are really concerned about safety and wanting everything to be really well organized and nothing to go wrong. And so it's one finding out how to communicate what we're doing as a company to each one of those different types of personalities in such a way that they can really get behind what we're doing, but also finding them the right seat in the company. So that, you know, obviously if someone's like really into uh, safety and systems, I'm probably not going to put them in like creative marketing. I mean, obviously, but totally. it could be someone who actually starts in that type of role because they're, they're creative and they're smart and they have unique ideas, but they're going to be better suited towards perhaps implementing systems and operations actually. And they still can apply that creativity and that inspiration to creating better systems. Well, I think what you're also touching on right now is is how the best companies will handcuff their key employees as well. And if um, you know handcuffing Gen X is easier than handcuffing Gen Y, especially in the younger part of Gen Y. But when you really start to understand the um, the innate or not the innate, but the the intrinsic kind of satisfaction that an employee is going to get inside your company, what they're really looking for beyond just the job itself that's how you're going to keep them in your company. You know, they're, they're going to stay because they like the environment. They like the employees. They like their boss. They like the perks, but they're going to stay for a long time and also be really engaged if you kind of tap into what really motivates them. So do you, do you have a system for finding that or is it, and then are you teaching your team to look for that as you scale or is it just an innate ability that you just kind of spot? We have, we do two tests. We do the Colby A test and we do the Enneagram test. And we use those complementary, like in a complementary fashion to each other. And we find them to be very different and to share different types of information. So everyone's tested on them. Everyone knows everyone's scores. Uh, and recently we did our first, you know, we're a new company. We were founded only a year ago. 
but we did our first big all-team multi-day retreat in, I want to say, April of this year. And in that, we dug deep into those scores with each other and talking about and understanding where and how we're motivated in different ways in different situations. So it's, I would say it's formal in that way, and it's very explicit. And so we're able to talk about it and understand each other. It's cool. And I, and I don't want us to pigeonhole you guys into a supplement company because I think Keon is a, you know, a little bit bigger than that. Can you walk us through just uh, so everyone listening understands what is Keon and why did you decide to start a business in such a crowded space? Yeah. So I think that fundamentally Keon is a lifestyle company and that word is thrown around a lot, but it really is a company that is devoted to helping people live uh, more adventurous and fulfilling lives. And it speaks to a certain way of approaching that. And we are committed to combining the best wisdom of our ancestors and using ancient wisdom and using modern science to support uh, and empower our followers and the people that are part of our community to have the most integrated whole life in terms of both their body, their mind, and their spirit. And so the easiest way of describing it oftentimes is like we're, you know, we're a supplement company um, because we do have a range of supplements that we offer. Mm. Um, we also have a gratitude journal that we've launched. We'll be launching more products like that. And we have a, a coaching certification program that just launched. The, the enrollment's now close to it. And that, that program actually be starting in this month of July where we're training coaches these are existing physicians, naturopaths, uh, personal trainers, all people that already have a, a pretty developed practice in our method and way of seeing the world and seeing people and how to support and coach individuals in the Keon way and the Keon method, which is this optimization and integration of your body, your mind, and your spirit. Yeah, and I've, I've spent a fair bit of time with Ben. He and I are members of a couple of different um, mastermind groups that we've, we attend together. And he he really does embody this and live this. How How is it for you? And, and tell me, what was it that he saw in you? Um, and what was it that you saw in him in the early stages that made you want to work with him as a COO? And what was it that he saw in you that made him want to uh, to bring you on? I mean, I think the, the simplest way of thinking about it is like complementary skill sets and uh, inclinations. You know, I looked at I was first exposed to to Ben actually in the introduction of us potentially working together. And I reviewed everything he had done and I talked to him. And I basically just saw like, wow, this is this this guy has already affected a lot of people. Like clearly. I mean, he had, you know, I don't know, 50,000 Facebook followers, something like that, and was really well respected by lots of other influencers and practitioners. But fifty thousand isn't like huge. It's not like millions. I was like, this guy could be really big. He could really hmm. impact and affect a lot of people. And that could be via just his own brand or through a company or whatever. But he has so much energy and so much vision and so much passion for what he's up to and what he's doing. Like he's not, he's not talking about it and then faking it and living a different life. Like right. he's so devoted to it. And then as I just got to, you know, I originally came on as a consultant to work with him and help him and just work with him more. I was like, this is the most hard, not only all that, he's the most hardworking person I've ever met. And one of the most efficient people I've ever met. And then on a third thing, it's maybe, you know, it's, it's not as clearly complimentary. He's the most like action oriented person I've ever met. I mean, he just takes action. He doesn't think through things as much. He just goes and just does goes. it. Yeah. And in doing that and seeing that, I was like, wow, like 
I want to be around this. I want to have this influence on my life. And I think that there's parts of myself and me that like where I could really influence him and support him in, in, in certain ways. And I think it's really, it's the stuff we've already talked about. It's, it's my more systems based thinking. It's an inclination towards in between like vision and action, implementing more strategy. It's strength around group dynamics and leading groups of people and getting groups of people to, to buy into something and to want to work on it together and to fulfill specific roles. And I think, um, Ben saw that. And you, you mentioned doing the Colby A profile. So what's your Colby A and what's Ben's Colby A? Do you remember? Yeah, it's an interesting one. They're, at, they're almost identical. I want to say mine's, I think mine's a 4484. And I think his is like a 34894. Um, so they're actually, they're actually pretty close. Um, All right. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to link to that in the show notes. But again, you're, you're very entrepreneurial as a COO. And that's probably why uh, it works so well as well as you were in that startup phase, right? You were both really creating the company from scratch. You weren't coming in to take it to the next level as much as to compliment him and, and really help grow it together. Exactly. I think that's really accurate, which would be interesting to see, you know, as we were growing really fast, two to three years from now, um, what will those Colby A scores look like? And will we need a lot more of people potentially that are more like, you know, eight, eight, or like uh, basically the opposite scores of us, yeah. like eight, three eights or something. Yeah. Um, my my Colby profile is very similar. I'm, mine is a four, three, nine, three. And um, when I was building 1-800-GOT-JUNK, that was perfect for the first six or seven years. And then we needed to have a different profile, take it to the next level. But yeah, we also surrounded ourselves with people that had Colby's that were different than ours for sure. So I'm sure that's what's going to happen as you scale. Yeah, I mean, even for example, like my my kind of right-hand person on, on particularly on the op side, she is opposite score. She's like an 8838 or something. So when you, when you know that about her, do you guys teach, do you, and when you, you said you had another personality profile that you used as well, what was it called? The Enneagram. Enneagram. So when you're, do you teach you all of the employees how these profiles work or is it just the leadership team that's using them? How do you work with uh, these profiles? It's all the employees. So everyone's taken them. Um, again, you know, we're a smaller team. We're like 20 people right now. So we have the, the benefit of being able to do a retreat with the entire team and to go into detail in all of them. But we do them for all new hires as well. And then when someone comes on and does it, you know, we do a review with them. We let them know what everyone else's scores are. They have open access to seeing other people's information as well. Mm. Hey, quick, um, quick, quick question. You and I are, are both, you know, you're obviously a member of the COO Alliance that I run, but we're also, we attend a mastermind together. We've gone to baby bathwater a couple of times. Yep. I'm curious as to what your perspective is on, you know, both of those events, maybe Bathwater with you as a co-founder and then also the COO Alliance where you're there as a second in command. What are you seeing in terms of the differentiation between the different styles of, and I'm sure you've been to others. Um, what are you kind of pulling out of the COO Alliance that is different from, from other masterminds or other groups? They are very different. I'll just start by saying that. <laughs> I think, and I'll just speak to um, the COO Alliance because I think that's, you know, really more pertinent probably people listening to this show as well. It is unlike other masterminds I've been to, it is exceptionally oriented towards operations, towards what it's really going to take to, to change things, to grow the business, to, it's, it's much, I would just say it's much more like implementation oriented. Um, you know, I can go to another mastermind like a baby bathwater and get really cool marketing ideas and get really excited. And I can potentially get a relationship that would, you know, perhaps drive a lot more traffic to the business. 
but then I have to go back and I have to like implement it. And I would say that there's a lot more opportunity to talk to people that are really in, you know, in the implementation role at the COO Alliance that know the pains of what it's really going to take to try out this new technology that we might be excited about. And with that, I have found that when I, you know, I have like a one page list that every COO Alliance I leave with where I, I just write down, these are the actions I'm really going to take. And I think I just, I feel so much more um, supported, inspired, motivated to actually do those things because of what the community is about. And, and they're, they're really realistic. They're not just like ideas. Um, so I would cool. say it's very pragmatic and um, implementation oriented. That was definitely the hope. It was really supposed to be focused around that area of, of operations and actually getting stuff done. Even the reason why I started this podcast, the Second in Command podcast, is I wanted to hear the rest of the story. You know, we often hear, um, you know, the entrepreneurial view or the CEO founder view of, of how they grew the company. And, and I think there's often a different perspective. And it's not that one is right or wrong. It's just that there's a bit of a yin and yang um, kind of approach. So with Ben so heavily being the CEO and spokesperson for not only the Ben Greenfield brand, but also for Keon, um, what do you think is the rest of the story? What What are you guys doing that maybe isn't being told publicly that is contributing so heavily to your success? The first word that comes to mind is the work. But um, yeah, I think it's really, it's the dedication to the strategy and when I say strategy, I think the, the main thing I'm thinking of is prioritization and, and, and sequencing. Hmm. What's really the most important thing we need to work on and, and then in what order to get to where we really want to go. And having a team that has kind of the group dynamic stuff not sorted out, but we're, we're, it's a pretty healthy team. I mean, I am, I am so proud of our team and so excited to be part of our team. I think that's a big part of it. And so to have that cultural group that's really unified and connected and then working on like really what's most important. All right, why do we do it in which order? All right, let's do it in that order. It's not just a bunch of kind of dreaming up all the coolest things we want to do. It's dreaming those up and then applying that dedication. Um, so I think, I mean, I can go into more detail in every area from, you know, the more detailed operations of producing supplements to marketing to, you know, all the details of finance and admin, but I think most um, people that are within a company get the sense of those. Now, are you hiring people that are good at project planning and, and execution? What, do you, what are the, some of the core behavior traits um, or skills that you look for in addition to the functional requirements of the job that you're hiring for? That is such a good question. And it's something that of late has been particularly uh, challenging. You know, we as we start to grow faster, we're thinking, oh, we really need these people with these really specific functional qualities. Like I need someone that has already run content marketing at this level. They know exactly what to do for the next steps, et cetera. And in doing that and really, you know, making that kind of like the primary search, like, yes, we're going to search for culture um, and other types of fit. We've actually really struggled. Mm -hmm. And when we really prioritize it, so another thing that Ben and I do is we try to um, read books together. And to, and to clearly track those and to take the best ideas of them. And one of them, Principles by Ray Dalio, was really impactful for us. And, you know, he really talks about basically like cultural, the best cultural fit. And I'm paraphrasing, but it's like the cultural fit, then the ability, and then the finally like the actual like 
proven skills. Yep. And I'd say really higher in that way. It's like, is this person someone really we're going to want to be around? Um, and it doesn't mean that everyone has to have the same personality type and be, it's not like we're hiring a bunch of alphas um, or of people that are only motivated for success in one way or are funny, but like, are they going to get with the group? Do they actually believe in what we're doing? Do they like this uh, style of work? Do they like the way we, that we interact together? And the next is on the, on the ability level, I think it really is those, some of these core qualities. Like, can they, can they synthesize information? Can they get big ideas and then, and a lot of different ideas and synthesize what's most important and be able to take action on that? Can we trust that they really are like a reliable hard worker? And that doesn't mean that they need to like, work a certain way at a certain time, but do we trust that like they really are interested and excited by work itself and in profession, professional development as part of personal development, like they like work and they want to work and they like doing that hard work. You know, it's, I feel like those two key things, like then they get excited about the way that we run meetings. They get excited about how we have, you know, quarterly goals and annual goals and how we strip things down to make them as simple and, you know, as measurable as possible. Like people that are inclined towards that, even if they've never worked in that type of system before, they love it and they eat it up because I think it makes them a better person. And it's, it's interesting that you, uh, you mentioned Ray's book. I actually pulled that out this morning to start reading as part of my morning savers. So the, the R in savers is the reading and that whole idea of hiring for culture abilities and skill is exactly what I've always done. We, we learned that in the early days at college pro painters that, that the, the adage of hire for attitude train for skill only gets you growth to a certain percentage. But when you hire for the right culture fit and proven skill set that they've done it before, that's what will accelerate your growth. But if you compromise and you hire the best skilled people who don't fit culturally, it actually is a negative. Like it's, you need to have both. Um, yeah, it's just, it's obviously an immediately negative because some of the group dynamic stuff, because it's like no one's yeah. working in their own little island. They're working with these other people. And then if people don't really want to work with them or there's distrust or they don't get along, it's like, it slows down the whole thing. It doesn't, you can have a store, you can have, you can have a star, you know, running back, but like if that running back doesn't get along with the rest of the, you know, offensive team, it doesn't really matter. Well, and it's interesting you even mentioned that that you're not hiring the same behavioral traits you're not hiring all alphas or the same but what you are hiring for is those the 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 way we do things and also i think core values you know that they have to already live the core values of the organization um talk to me about a little bit about your recruiting process and and your interviewing process is there anything unique that you guys do there well uh you know i haven't compared it I guess, honestly, I haven't done like an extensive review of everyone else's uh, recruiting processes. So I don't, I don't know exactly how unique it is, but I think the things that we focus on are at the very highest level, what is this job? What is this role ultimately responsible for at the highest level? What does this person really need to love and be motivated by? And then really clearly defining what the responsibilities are going to be in no nonsense language, not like, Mm -hmm these kind of complicated flowery things, like just literally what is the person going to do? Um, and what do they need to, you know, so they have a really clear idea of what they're getting into and we have a really clear idea of evaluating if they're doing it or not. And then next is, sorry, hope, hopefully that train is um, endearing in the interview. That's cool. And I think that you're on the track that um, I think a lot of companies don't even sit down and think about. So you're on the right page with that. Talk about the, um, I think every, 
Harvard wrote an article years ago called The Misunderstood Role of the COO, and they identified seven distinct types of second-in-commands. Talk to us about the core areas that Ben oversees in the business and what he's responsible for, and then the core areas that you're responsible for, because it differs from, again, even everyone that we've interviewed on the second-in-command podcast. So what do you oversee and what does he oversee? And how did you decide which areas to be responsible for? I think there were there are ways that we naturally uh, divided tasks or responsibilities, and I think that implementing the uh, the EOS system via Gino Wickman that helped us as well. So we do clearly see things in terms of being a, a visionary and an integrator. So Ben primarily performs the visionary role, and I perform the integrator role. And as a visionary, Ben's primary role is maintaining this really clear, distinct mental image and vision of where we're going and why we're going there. Basically being out in front of the company and being that figure for all of our potential customers so that that, they're associating this guy and this guy's vision with who we are and where we're going. And then similarly doing that for our internal team that like, you know, he, he represents why we're doing it and where we're going. Other main thing I would say is just high-end relationships. Uh, because of the high-profile nature of Ben, he's able to manage important high-profile relationships, get out there, draw attention, get kind of big deals in the door. Um, and then once they're in, it's my responsibility to uh, you know turn it into something. And so beyond that, I would say my primary role is really leading the whole team on a, on a day-to-day basis, um, you know, facilitating how the whole how the entire team and group is operating and then overseeing uh, each of the business units. That's awesome. And then Ben is, is obviously a quick start, very similar to you with your behavioral trait or your Colby profile. And, and as a visionary entrepreneur, he obviously has lots of great ideas and comes back from these masterminds with great ideas. How do you protect him and save him from himself? How do you protect the company from having to start every one of these good ideas tomorrow? <laughs> That's a good question. You know, I just want to add, I think the other thing is like, how do we protect bins or whoever's in that role? They're, they're like freedom to be excited because there's got to be a way like I want Ben to stay excited and keep coming with all these ideas. I don't want him to feel shut down. And like every time he brings a cool idea, it's going to be like, wah, wah, sorry, Ben, we can't do that right now. We're working mm-hmm. on da, 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 da. So it's like, I, I want him to stay excited and inspired and feel like there's a place for him to deliver those ideas and that I'm going to be excited about them and that I'm not going to just, you know, kind of shoot them down. So one primary thing is, is trying to keep that with me that really, because what we don't want to have happen is we want him to bring all of his ideas to some other team members and then they don't really know if it's a priority or not. It feels like maybe it's it's come... I thought there was this other priority and now Ben's telling me this thing. And so then they're yep. kind of confused. Maybe they really like the idea and so they go with it and maybe it's really not a priority and we shouldn't be doing it. Or maybe they don't like the idea and then they kind of shut Ben down and Ben's like, what? what's going on? I thought I was like, I thought I was like the founder of this thing and I'm the guy out there doing this. Like I know what's right. Um, so really providing a safe place to where uh, he and I have weekly meetings. He feels total. I let him know all the time, like totally free. Like we use Voxer a lot because we don't live in the same place and it's a, it's a, it's a voice messaging app. Like he can send me a voice message whenever with any idea. And I just collect them all and I put them into somewhat of like a dream catcher document that we review for the next strategic planning um, session. So, you know, if an idea comes in right now, if it feels like something that's actually pretty good and we could like, op, we could, we could implement quickly. I go to that team and I'm like, Hey, marketing, I actually think that we should, 
change this menu item. And I think it's a pretty good idea that Ben has, can we test that? And they're like, yeah, we think we can do it. If it's something that feels pretty big, we can save it to a later meeting to discuss in more detail. Yeah, but I always, I try to make sure Ben feels like it's safe to, to share the ideas and that like they, and to encourage him basically to keep bringing them. Well, I think that's what most founders really need is to know that they can share all the ideas. And then once they've shared them with us, we've got them. We'll put them into a process to vote on them quarterly or monthly or yearly. Um, and they know their ideas are now trapped because in the absence of some system, they tend to want to start things. Totally. Right? But if they know that you've got the idea and it's safe and it's good, they can keep sharing them a month or two later, they're going to go back and look at all their ideas and they're going to help vote through some of those too and realize that in the scheme of things, when they had 40 ideas, only five of them can really, you know, get started. Yeah. And I honestly really want to give, you know, props to Ben on this. I think one of the really things I most respect about him is kind of how open to growth and change he is in some ways. Because when I first started and we started this company, it was really hard for him. Like he would just want to start things. He'd want to have tons of different people starting things all the time. And we just talked through it and he got it. He was like, I get it, you know, but I need, I need that safe place to be able to share that stuff. I feel like I don't really have like a message for like how to create that with another CEO because it, it didn't feel that challenging in my situation. I mean, it took like a year for us to get there, but that actually feels relatively fast right here. Some other people, it's like uh, years of this kind of, you know, speaking past each other in a more of a CEO, CEO relationship. Well, I think, I think you kind of are touching on it that you actually have a good open dialogue and a good open trust and a good communication. So what do you guys do in terms of meeting rhythms for yourself to stay connected with each other and, and to stay on the same page and talk through things? Do you have, and working remotely to do that, what else do you do besides using Voxer to stay on the same page? Having a weekly scheduled meeting, even if we don't need to use the full time. And honestly, it's been a little tricky. His schedule has been so packed lately. He's he's basically like constantly traveling and it's been a little tricky these last few weeks. And I can already tell, you know, I can tell like there's just a little bit of a slippage. We don't, ha I don't think there's like relationship slippage, but just staying on the same page and ensuring that we both know what's going on and the two different really key roles that we're playing. Um, so I think just having a weekly sit down meeting or call that you just adhere to no matter what. Are you guys using leveraging zoom and, you know, doing it over video? Uh, we do. The only thing is both of us are like not, neither of us are very inclined to like sitting down all day or, you know, being in front of a computer all day. And because I hold the role though, more of organize, organizing and keeping track of everything, like I need to stay in one place, but Ben prefers to be on a phone call and be able to go on a walk, which I totally respect. Like if I was in his seat, I would take that too. <laughs> I wouldn't want to be in front of the computer doing it. And, and I don't mind it at all. Yeah, no, it's great. It's good that you actually have the weekly meeting as well and whatever format works for you. I, I love leveraging video just because I think we can keep that human connection and it, it does build, especially over time, um, it keeps the connection really strong because you can actually see the other person and look them in the eyes and smile together and kind of laugh together and it, it keeps the connection going where sometimes just voice or, or certainly even over text is a lot worse, not quite as strong. You know, on that point, there was actually a really big thing that I got out of the COO Alliance because... Um, two big things about this company for me. One was I had never uh, run a remote company before. I mean, I had with the software development company, um, but I was doing more of like sales and partnership work. Like I wasn't like managing a team of 20 people or 30 or 40 people. Um, so I walked into this 
this remote thing. And I was like, how do I do this? Like, I don't feel like I have a pulse of where people are. And, and one, and I brought that up in a CEO Alliance meeting and uh, Matt Wool, who's a member as well, who runs a you know, huge uh, remote only team was like, you have to tell them they have to be on video. Just go back and do that immediately. And I went back and I did that immediately and it changed everything. Mm. I mean, it, it really had a huge impact just saying like for meetings, you need to, you need to be present on video. Now, if you have some really good reason for why not, or there's some issue, but like, otherwise the expectation is on zoom calls on team meetings, you you're on video and it, it did make a huge impact. Yeah. Video is really powerful. I just, just got off a call with my director of operations, Rachel Blanc. And you know, over the last few days, lots of messages, texts back and forth and, and email communication. And then all of a sudden, boom, video opened up and we both started laughing and saying hi and everything was great. And you just, it just really builds that, that human connection, which is powerful. I want to, want to know what you think are the kind of core areas that you're still working on. You know, Ray Kroc, who built up McDonald's said, when you're green, you're growing. When you're ripe, you're rotting. Where are you still growing as a COO? You know, I think speaking to, um, to that, to the, to the Colby score and my Neagram score, you know, my, my Colby score is oriented towards, towards starting things and getting things going. And my Neagram personality results are really oriented towards growth, excitement, like the fun stuff. And I think I still have some real, I, you know, I've, I've worked really hard the last 10 years, I'd say pretty intentionally on trying to kind of value the things that I'm strong at, but also smooth out uh, other areas and be more oriented towards particularly like the implementation of strategy. Cause I'm an idea guy. I like the strategy and the sequencing and the planning, but then like really pushing forward on implementation and keeping it tight, not allowing for too big of ideas or expectations to, to go on without like coming back to them and ensuring that we're coming back to the same thing and being really consistent and taking action on that and implementing what we plan to implement you know, I think I still, I still have work to be done on that. And in the places where, you know, getting clear about the places where I'm not as good at that, just delegating it faster, not holding on to it, not feeling like it has to be my thing if I can't, if it's just an area where I'm just not going to be good at it. Yeah. It's not about us getting it, doing it. It's about it getting done, right? Exactly. Do you, um, we had one of the speakers that came into the CO Alliance uh, this past year was Ari Mizell, and he's a, an expert on efficiency and automation. And his, his process is when you're looking at projects or, or things that we do in the company to decide if we can stop doing it, then can it be optimized, then can it be automated, then can it be outsourced? Do you guys look to put things through that filter or a filter similar to that at all? Uh, you know, I'm somewhat familiar with Ari's work. I know like Ben's actually more familiar with it than I am. So I, I wouldn't say that we adhere, you know, directly to that, directly to that filter. But I think that fundamentally we understand those principles and, and we try to work towards them. Awesome. Earlier, um, you mentioned that you and Ben are trying to read a lot of books together. What What are the recent ones and maybe in the last 12 months that you've read that, um, that you know, you guys have been excited about or have gained some great ideas from? I mean, I think the the three most influential ones have been principles. And then the next two are actually kind of part of the same system, but they're, uh, it's the traction and then rocket fuel and traction and rocket fuel are both part of the, the EOS system. But rocket fuel, I would say is like kind of really written to more of the visionary CEO type and traction's mm-hmm. more written to the implementer integrator role. Um, and I would say that those three books have definitely been the most impactful and we've tried to really stick with implementing the best ideas of those before we try to like 
read too many new things. Good for you. I've been really encouraging people. Like I don't believe in, in there's some thought leaders that say you have to read a book every week. And I, I completely disagree. I think it is absolutely stressing people out, adding miscellaneous things to, to their to-do list. And what you should be doing is reading very specific books around areas that you or the organization want to grow in and really kind of applying your learning and time to that. And then the rest of the time, giving yourself a break um, and putting those systems in place. So I love that you're actually, you get that, that you're taking the core principles from EOS Traction, from Rocket Fuel and from um, principles, putting the systems in place deep into your company. And then when you've do- done that, then you can grab another book. Exactly. Just too, too much often. So um, normally I kind of wrap this up with a question that, um, you know, insights that, that you want to share with other COOs. But I think today with you instead, um, do you know where I'm going to go with this? Second in command. With Cameron Harold. You got it, buddy. I was going to ask you to beatbox. You crushed it. We may have to use that one rolling forward. Um, let's wrap though with, with one. What is a, a word of advice that you can give to any, um, not just a second in command, but any leader that you have out there? Study yourself. Because I think that the biggest risk out there is not seeing that you have some type of unconscious emotion or drive that is going to influence a decision that's potentially not best for you, for the company, uh, for the team, for society. And taking time to study yourself, however you do that, whether that's journaling or meditation or walks or therapy, like just really study yourself. That's really cool. Um, I, I definitely, next time we're together, want to sit with you over a drink and, and hear all about your experiences in India because I am fascinated with that country after being there four times. So, um, Angelo, thanks. What's that? I didn't realize you have been there either. Yeah, I, I was there uh, the first time in 91, second time. Well, let's even go into it a little bit. So I, I was there in 91, 97, and then a couple times over the last five or six years. I've been to probably 20 cities over there. But where, where did you base and, and what did you like about it? And what did you learn from it? I mean, India is a crazy place. And so I've also been there four times. The first time I went was to do this service work at this orphanage. And then I, for about a month in Bangalore, and then I did spent a month doing, doing like a yoga program in the, in, near Rishikesh. It's like the foothills of the Himalayas. Now, it's a whole other story to say it later, but I was involved in a crazy bus accident over there where wow. like all these people died. It was very sad and there were very few people available to rescue them. So like I was part of this very small group. They like featured me in the newspaper. It was wild like dream, like bizarre experience. Um, But then I went back, I I created a program actually where we, uh, we ran a summer camp. I, at the university I was at, I created this program where, and it's still running. They send kids, college students to this orphanage to run a summer camp there. Um, So I did that the second time. Third time I just went back, I guess it was kind of work related, but for fun with my wife. And then the fourth time I was based out of Bangalore for a year and a half where I worked with Apple and worked with this university. And it was uh, very different than the travel experiences being more integrated into the, um, the workforce itself and really could feel the social and cultural and race dynamics. It was, it was a very interesting experience. And wow, that's last, last thing I'll say is I, uh, my driver got fired for something like after like a couple of weeks and I was like, oh, I can, I'll drive until you hire another person. And then once they heard that, they would like never hire me another driver. So I drove a car my Whoa. own car the time I was there <laughs> that's insane so anybody's been to India like I, I should get like major props for that 
that's insane. There's no way I would drive in India. And everybody, people be like, oh, I've never been to India, but it's probably like Mexico. I'm like, no, no, it's not actually. No, it's, it's not at all. It's totally like, different. It's like Mexico on acid. It's ridiculous. <laughs> yes. All right, Angelo, thanks so much for sharing, man. Appreciate it. Looking forward to seeing you later this fall. Thank you so much for having me, Cameron. It's, it's an honor. Awesome. You've been listening to Second in Command with Cameron Harold. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to subscribe. To learn more best practices from industry-leading COOs, please visit COOalliance.com.